So brothers and sisters in Christ, from near and far, rise up and let us feed and nourish our souls. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the names. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. May you treasure these words in your hearts. Please be seated. Well, to me, this is one of the great encounters in Scripture. The Bible is full of compelling people. Noah, Abraham, David, Elijah, Daniel, poets, kings, miracle-working apostles. But I think that of all the people in Scripture, the one who impresses me the most is Mary, this thoughtful young girl living in this quiet little town. Now, truth is stranger than fiction, and Mary's story, I think, is one that bears out that adage. Uh, an angelic visitation, a virgin pregnancy, a teenage girl is told that she will give birth to the Son of God. You've got the supernatural and the impossible in this story. It's the stuff of legend, except it's not legend, it's truth. And I find it an inherently fascinating story. But what I find really compelling about this episode with Mary is not the presence of the angel Gabriel, it's not the miracle of the virgin birth, which is really the miracle of the virgin conception. I think it was a very normal birth once she was pregnant. What's compelling about the story here, the story of Mary, is that her story is our story. I think that we stand today where Mary stands. And the message that God has for us is the very message that Gabriel brought to Mary. And the question is, how will we respond to that message? Now, to understand the story as our story, let's first experience it as Mary's story. 
And to do that, we've got to set ourselves back 2,000 years. Uh, it's the time of the Roman Empire and the reign of Augustus, the first true Roman emperor, one of whose titles was Divi Filius, son of a god. It was one of his titles. And that part of the Roman Empire that was Israel or Judea was ruled by Herod the Great, who was not a Jew but a neighboring Edomite. And Augustus gave to Herod the formal title, King of the Jews. That was one of his formal titles. And in northern Judea, in an area called Galilee, and a little town called Nazareth, uh, sorry, in northern Judea was the area called Galilee, and a little town called Nazareth. And it was there that God commissioned the angel Gabriel to go. Half a year ago, he'd been commissioned by God to go somewhere else, to Jerusalem to the priest Zechariah as he went about his sacred duties in the temple. And we considered that encounter last week's Sunday when Zechariah was told that his wife would bear a child who would prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Now it's six months later and Zechariah's wife Elizabeth is pregnant and Gabriel now once again sets out from his place at the throne of God with another commission. And this time, though, he goes not to Jerusalem, not to the capital, not to the temple, the center of the worship of God, not to a godly priest going about his sacred duty, but to this little town, Nazareth, to a little young girl named Mary. Mary was young, probably at the marriageable age of 13 or 14, and we know remarkably little about her. Uh, tradition tells us that her parents' names were Joachim and Anna, but we don't know that. Uh, the Gospels hint that she had at least an older sister named Salome, who became the mother of James and John, but we don't know that for sure. We think so. And if Mary had other brothers and sisters, again, we don't, we don't know. We don't know anything about her virtually. Nazareth was in northern Israel, about halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, she is engaged to be married, betrothed to the village carpenter, to Joseph. And I suspect that she's a little apprehensive, unsure of what it will be like to leave her home and become a young wife. But she knows at least that Joseph is a good man. Everybody knows that he's a good man. He has the somewhat formal title of a tzaddik, a righteous man. So that's Mary's situation when we first meet her here in Luke chapter 1, when Gabriel comes to her. And I wish we knew what Mary was doing when Gabriel comes. Do you ever wonder that? Was she in the house preparing food? Was she outside walking, going to the well to get water? Was she on Facebook? LOL. Just kidding. Was she by herself? Was somebody with her, her mom, a sister? Was she the only one who saw Gabriel? We don't even know that much. But Gabriel comes to her and says, essentially, hi from God. Greetings, he says, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, when Gabriel appeared earlier to Zechariah, Luke records that Zechariah was troubled and fear fell upon him. The only other time in Scripture that we meet Gabriel is in the book of Daniel, uh, chapters 8 and 9, and there too, his presence evokes awe and fear. In fact, Daniel collapses, overwhelmed. Now, as an aside, uh, this might be a good time to clear up some common 
stereotypes about angels. Angels, the cherubim, are not naked babies, uh, nor are they beautiful, gentle women. Angels are consistently portrayed in Scripture as beings of such celestial glory that the mere presence of one would overwhelm. They're never described in Scripture as singing either. Did you know that? And in Revelation, it seems that every time an angel speaks, he does so with a loud voice. So I'm not sure that to be told that you sing like an angel is all that complimentary, or that your child looks like a cherub is all that complimentary either. So when Mary sees Gabriel, she is, in Luke's words, again, greatly troubled. And not just troubled at his appearance, which certainly would have evoked fear, but troubled at his words. Wondering what these words mean. And Gabriel is quickly compelled to say what angels always feel like they have to say before they can get on with business. Do not be afraid. And he repeats, you have found favor with God. Now again, just to enter the story, what is Mary experiencing at this moment? 13, 14 years old. The God she knows is the God of the Old Testament. He didn't show up a lot. And when he did, it was to the likes of Abraham and Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel. He didn't send angels with messages very often either. Those who saw angels included Jacob, Joshua, Gideon, Elisha, Daniel. And every time an angel showed up with a message from God, it was a major deal. And maybe Mary forgot what we usually forget, that God never sends his angels to great people, to special people. He always sends his angels to ordinary people. And it's only when God steps into the life of someone and invites them to participate in his great work that future generations like us call them great. But they weren't. Abraham was normal. Moses was normal. Elisha was normal. Until they were drawn into the work of God. Mary was normal. You are normal. I am relatively normal. And as Gabriel speaks to Mary, all she is is a young Jewish girl living her life from day to day. And so for her to see this awesome celestial being and to hear from his mouth that she's highly favored and that God has a message for her... We can't, we can't possibly imagine what that would have been like for her. Don't believe the paintings, by the way. I should have put one up here. Paintings where, where Mary is all haloed and, and Gabriel is kind of bowing as a servant toward her. It was overwhelming for her, greatly troubled. But God is favoring her, being gracious to her by drawing her into his great work. God's preferred method is to use normal people, by the way. God doesn't use people because they're special. People are special because God uses them. So Gabriel goes on to speak now this message from God, a message so astonishing that Mary can hardly take it in, let alone believe it. He says, you, Mary, will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will rule Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. 
And Mary's head spins, I think, and searching for words, her thoughts land on something entirely practical. How will this be? For I am a virgin. And Gabriel's response here is fascinating. He says, the Holy Spirit of God will come upon you and God's power will overshadow you. So your child will be called the Son of God. Nothing is impossible with God. Ask your cousin Elizabeth. For she, even though she is barren, is six months pregnant. Now this is interesting. You remember six months earlier when Zechariah the priest was told that his barren elderly wife would conceive and bear a son. He responded with doubt. And Gabriel's angry response to him was that because he doubted the word of the angel, he would be struck dumb, unable to speak until the baby was born. And Mary gets no such rebuke from Gabriel. Why the difference? Is it because Zechariah was an older, a priest, a religious professional who had walked with God for many years and that Zechariah should have known better? God does, exceem, does uh, expect greater levels of trust from those who have known him longer. But maybe Zechariah's response was, I don't believe it, and Mary's response was more like, I don't understand, and so there's more grace. But when Mary questions, how can this be, Gabriel graciously just answers her question. And then Mary answers him, okay, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And today we take note of her response to God's word to her, the very same word that God has for us. And the response of Mary is the very same response that God invites of us. I said earlier that what makes Mary's story so compelling is that her story is our story. And I think that it is. If God were to send an angel to us together and interrupt the service, or if God were to appear to you wherever you were on any given day and would speak to you, what might his message be to you or to us together? I think it would be something like this. Greetings, you whom I have blessed with my favor. The Lord is with you. I have chosen you to be the means by which I bring Jesus to the world. Same message to Mary, to us. See, the world needs Jesus. All around the world, people are oppressed, starving, diseased, in conflict. That's what happens to humanity when we don't know God. And all around you, in your circles, are people who also need Jesus. Your boss, who is wealthy, but lost. Your neighbor, whose life is shallow, devoted to fun and possessions. Your friend, who seems content, but on the inside is lonely, maybe broken. Your coworker, who has tasted religion at some point, but been turned off by it. Crowding the malls in these days. People who have no greater need than for Jesus. And all around this church are hurting people, lonely people. People in broken families or just people who are far from God. 
And there is the reality, of course, that underneath these issues of loneliness or addiction or shallow living or spiritual hunger lies the root issue of sin. Sin that produces these twin effects of of objective guilt before God and the subjective experience of separation from God and the emptiness that results from that. And God says, I want to save them from judgment. I want to fill their life with joy. I want to give them Jesus, and I want to use you to do it. And if you're like me, you tend to dismiss this call. Not on purpose. I mean, we wouldn't, wouldn't like to think of ourselves giving a flat-out no to God. But perhaps we've forgotten to see people as God sees them. Perhaps you've simply learned to relate to your coworker on a friendly but professional level, forgetting that God sent his son to die for that person. Maybe you'll walk through the malls this season, forgetting that the people who are crowding around you are desperate people, longing for life, longing for love, longing for God. And there is a general call of God on us that we as a whole church and as Christians in general are called to bring Christ to our community and to our world. But there's also the specific call. God not only calls us, he's calling you this morning. And Mary's first response was a question. How can this be? I am a virgin. First thing she does is thinks of a reason why she's not able to do what God is calling her to do. Why his call on her life doesn't make sense. She's not being rebellious. She's not saying no to God. She just thought, I'm not able to do this. I don't, I don't have the criteria. I'm missing the necessary qualifications. And she was right. She was not able to do it. Virgins don't have babies. And maybe your first question to God is the question Mary asked, how can this be? What do you think of when you think, I can't do that, I'm not qualified? Maybe you think, how can this be? I don't don't have near the kind of faith that's required to, to overflow and impact the life of somebody. I stumble all the time. I need some kind of shoring up first before I can be of use to God. Maybe you think, how can this be? I'm a sinner. You're remembering something from years back that you still don't think God has forgiven you for. Or you sinned this week and said, man, just the other day I slipped up in a big way. God, I can't, I can't be used of God to show Jesus to somebody. My goodness, I barely know Jesus myself. Maybe we think, as a church, we think, how can this be? We're not healthy enough as a body to do meaningful mission work, to make Christ known in the neighborhood or in our world. We had better learn to love each other, get all discipled first, and strengthen ourselves, and then we can be of service to God. How can this be, God? You can't. Not me. I got, I got nothing for you. I can't do what you ask me to do. And God's answer to Mary's question was 
the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of God will overshadow you. And you will have a son. God didn't say to Mary, well, you know what? That's okay, Mary. Um, I know it doesn't make sense, but you can do it. You have everything you need. God didn't say, you know what, Mary? You are a righteous woman. You have the character that I need to bring my son into the world. I think our tendency is to think that Mary had somehow, God was looking around and finding a wonderfully righteous person and found Mary. And our, our Roman Catholic friends have ascribed sinlessness to Mary for exactly that reason. Surely God would not use somebody who was a sinner. Mary must have been good enough somehow. But God simply said to Mary, he didn't make her feel bad about what she lacked. He simply said to her, essentially, you know what? Your virginity is not an issue. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be able. This is something I'm going to do, God says. And God doesn't say to us, you know, it's okay. I've forgiven you and you can do this. You're, you're able to do it. God doesn't say, oh, you know what? You're underestimating yourself. Look at all the abilities you have. So many people who are able to teach and do music and show hospitality, and to serve, to care, to speak. Oh, you're so creative. Oh, you're such a good leader. You know, you're the only one who can reach this person. God doesn't affirm any of that kind of stuff. God doesn't remind us what we bring to the table. He doesn't say, you know what? You have exactly what I need. God says, my Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of God will overshadow you. And you're going to do it. More accurately, I'm going to do it. In other words, what does your ability or lack of ability have to do with it, God says? I will build my church, Jesus said. You will be witnesses, Jesus said. Abide in me, you will bear much fruit. That's God's answer to Mary. And I love that answer because it doesn't make anything of Mary. It doesn't require that we be anything or become anything. Just God's going to do it. And then Mary is able to say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me just as you have said. And it's right, right there that Mary really shines. And I love her attitude. She hasn't received all the answers by any means. She almost certainly doesn't realize initially the impact that this favor of God is going to have on her. Hers will be an unwed pregnancy, a thousand times more of a stigma in her culture than in ours. She doesn't know yet how her parents, her friends, how Joseph will respond. She just says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And I, notice her wording. I am the Lord's servant. She doesn't say, her response is not an I will response. Okay, God, I will do this thing. Her response is an I am response. She's not putting herself at God's disposal. She's saying something about her identity, about who she is. She is a servant of God. And therefore, she can humbly submit and say, whatever he wants from me is just fine. That's why Mary has come down through history as a role model for us. Her humility, her availability, her simple submission to the lordship of God. 
That's the example that she is for us. Jesus would say later, whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant. And Mary is great. And again, no disrespect to our Catholic friends, but Mary is not great because she's the mother of God. That's not her special status. Mary is great because she is the servant of God. And in God's economy, servanthood and humility are greatness. That's what God honors. And when God says to us, as I think he does say, you are recipients of my favor, I am going to bring Christ to your workplace, to your neighbor, to your community, through you, by the power of my Holy Spirit. The only response for us is the simple, okay. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't see. I, there's all kinds of pieces missing from my perspective, but I am your servant. May it be as you have said. I look forward to watching you work, Lord. If today you feel that God cannot use you, or at least shouldn't use you because you've disqualified yourself, or you're missing a piece, or if you look around at the church and think, we're not doing well, We need to sharpen some things up before God can use us to bring Jesus to the world. I ask you to think again. And without putting too fine a point on it, beware of telling God what he is or is not going to do. I think that's part of the difference between Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah, prove it. Mary, I don't understand, but okay. And I would rather be like Mary. Let me tell you something as a church. God is doing something here. God is bringing Jesus to us, first of all, in ways that are deeper than we have tasted, I think, in a long time. And many of you can nod your heads to that because he's brought Jesus to you in a way deeper and differently than he has in a long time. We had a board meeting on Thursday. And in that board meeting, we talked for a little bit about a meeting earlier in September when we said, okay, I've told you about this meeting where we said as leaders, what does it look like for us to have hearts that are increasingly healthy when it comes to our our Godward orientation? And we we try to intentionally turn ourselves to face Jesus. And in the months that we have done that, we have seen God wake people up, touch lives, and do some things. Some ministries are spontaneously arising. And at a board meeting on Thursday, we thought, okay, what's next? Because we had talked about focusing on Jesus and strengthening relationships. And I think it's helpful for us to sort of intentionally try to face the direction that God is facing. But we reminded ourselves on Thursday to be careful about, these are my words, telling God what to do. We wanted to be careful about getting in God's way. 
And we want to have the posture of saying, we are the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said, of not getting in God's way and letting him do what he's doing and just being participants with him in that. And as leadership, as a church, that's what we need to do because you know what? God is on the move here. He's doing stuff here. And he's going to not just do stuff here, he's going to do stuff there as an overflow of what he's doing here. I think God is coming to us and saying, I am bringing Jesus to the world through you. I think he's saying that. I really think he's saying that. And I want to encourage us to not think that we have to make ourselves ready in some way. Um, We had a week of prayer and fasting not long ago. I couldn't help but notice this week that as far as we know, Mary hadn't come out of a week of prayer and fasting and then she was ready for God to do something great. And I love prayer and fasting. We need to, that, that, ter- that orients us towards God, and it's great. But lest we think that we had better roll up our sleeves and get all spiritual somehow, or God can't do it, we're mistaken. Sometimes we do things that will help us tune into God, but we don't in any way render God able to do things. The only thing we do is learn how to listen. That's what prayer is. That's what fasting is. And then we are servants of God who can stand and say, okay, God, you do it, and we are here. And God is doing it. And just as a baby was born in a stable 2,000 years ago, as a song says, the gift that was given is still given. The God who gave still gives, and he's giving Jesus to you and to others through you. And I find that pretty exciting. We are becoming increasingly healthy and deep. Did you know that? We are. So I close this morning with a simple, I hope, encouragement that we'd rather be Mary than the priest. We'd rather be the humble girl in a little town who just says to God, I don't understand, but okay. Let us do that to the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Perfect and powerful and sovereign Lord, who cannot be turned back from your work of redemption, who will build his church, who will complete his people, not one whom you have chosen will be lost. To you we pray. And you, Jesus, you are the Savior of the world. We are not. You are the builder of your church. To you, Holy Spirit, you are the one who changes lives. You are the one who saves people. You are the one who opens the eyes of the blind. You are the one who brings Jesus into the hearts of lost people. Father and Son and Spirit, to you we pray, and we release our sense of ownership 
of responsibility to get the job done. We release our sense of thinking that it is up to us to do it. And we tell you this morning that we want to be humble and faithful. We want to know what you are doing. We want to be used by you to save the world and to save that one person. And we don't understand. And the truth is, there are a lot of things that I can look at in my own life and say, it makes no sense, oh God, that you would do anything good. And we can look at ourselves in a church and fall into the trap of thinking we are too weak. We don't have what it takes to be effective, to make a difference. And I thank you this morning that your answer to that is that we are right. We do not have what it takes. But you, oh God, have what it takes. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring Jesus to the world to our neighborhoods, and to the individuals that we think of. You bring Jesus to them. Thank you that you have brought Jesus to us. May he overflow in our hearts, his character overflow in us, his very person and love overflow in us, that the world can see Jesus. Thank you, O God, for Mary, who was indeed full of grace, as we are as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.